Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. When you hear the term flexible work, what do you think of? Maybe it's a positive association. You think, well, this is a workplace where I'm allowed to leave a little bit early to take care of things, but I'll make up the time. Maybe it means you have a structure where you can decide your work hours. And maybe it means something really negative to you, like a buzzword from a decade or two decades past that isn't really realistic with the framework we have now, where we're really expected to be on call at all times and have to prioritize work as something that needs to get done. And yet with the pandemic, as with so many things, we are dusting off some of these terms and saying, what does it really mean? And can we make it work? And as we rebuild this workplace, what do we want it to look like? So, you know, to talk about flexible work, I'm really lucky that we have as our guest today, Callie Williams-Yost. She's the founder of a group called Flex Plus Strategy Group. What's interesting about this is she saw the possibilities in flexible work a long time ago, decades ago, and she's been working at this all this time. Now people are coming to her and saying, what does it mean and how do we make this work now that we have to be somewhat more flexible. So a lot of things to cover here. We don't come to like a definitive conclusion of how things are going to look, but like most things, this is a process that's ongoing. It's a work in progress, and hopefully we will come out with a better workplace. So a really good discussion with Callie. Please stay with us. Well, remote work may not be here to stay forever, but many of us are apparently going to be living with it for a long time. And this is not the old remote work where employees who really wanted to be remote workers negotiated deals that worked for them. It's kind of uh, everybody go home and we'll figure it out later type of remote work. So in these circumstances, how do you keep work and home separate? Is there a way to set boundaries between the two? And if you don't do that, what are the consequences? Well, my guest today is an expert on how this can all play out for good or for bad. Kelly Williams-Yost is the founder and CEO of the Flex Plus Strategy Group. It's a solutions company that helps unlock performance and engagement by reimagining how, when, and where work is done. She's also a workplace futurist, strategist, author, and keynote speaker, as well as a media commentator. She joins us now from Madison, New Jersey. Hi, Kelly. Hi, it's great to be here. Well, it's great that you have time to talk to us. I know you are super busy right now because the workplace is in flux. But before we even talk about that, let's talk about your career a little bit. This is a work-life podcast. You didn't start out as a workplace futurist. Talk a little bit about how you got to this place. I did not start out as a workplace futurist. I started out as a banker. Um, I graduated from college back in the late 80s and started at a bank in New York City in their management training program, Um, was a very young uh, manager in training, put in in charge of, sort of provisionally in charge of a group of bankers, all of whom were older than I was. And this is probably about five years into my career. And I started to see that they were leaving because of a lack of flexibility. They were having work-life issues and it was a, the two I'm thinking of was a woman, but also a man. And they, you know, being this junior inexperienced banker, I thought, well, my clients, my customers, which 
happen to be closely held companies. And this is an important part of the story because when you lend to closely held companies, the relationship between the banker and the owner of that business is very important because you don't have audited financial statements. So when you lose a banker, you lose that relationship. And so I just thought, well, let's give them flexibility. Let's reduce their schedule. Let's even let them telecommute, which at the time, in the at this point, it's the early 90s, was just bizarre. I mean, people didn't even understand what that meant. But I was starting to follow this new emerging field. I don't know why I got interested in it. But perhaps looking back, it was that I saw all these conflicts that were, in my opinion, unnecessarily keeping people in their jobs and and performing for the organization with a little bit of flexibility. They could have stayed, continued to contribute. So I presented this to my leadership at the time. Let's give these people flexibility. And the response, as you can imagine, was just like, again, I don't know what that is even that you're talking about. So um, clearly they said no. And I just became more convinced that this was going to be something. And finally, one day, I happened to be meeting with a CEO of a competing bank. Um, We handled his accounts. And one of the people who had to leave because they couldn't get flexibility, I got her accounts. And he was one of them. Um, Went, introduced myself to him. And he looked at me from across his big desk and said, you know, this is a big mistake. Uh, We give everybody flexibility here. And I bet you think I'm a great guy. He said, actually, I'm a really smart business person because guess what? They stay with me forever. And I can still remember him leaning across the desk saying this. And I thought, as I always say, it's kind of one of those angel moments, like everything aligns and all things stop. And I'm like, I'm out. I am leaving banking. I am going into flexibility strategy consulting. I know no one knows what this is, but this is something. If this CEO in 1992 is leaning across his desk saying this to me, then I'm going to go for it. And I left banking, went to Columbia Business School, got my MBA, and ended up getting one of the two jobs at the time that I could find, at least in the country, where they were starting to really study this issue. It was think tanks, obviously, you know, this is sort of new and burgeoning, but it was an academic think tank. And that's where I went. And 1995, it all began. And that's where I am today. Well, that's very cool. A lot has happened between 1995 and 2020. Uh, We could talk a lot about the things that have happened. But just before the pandemic, what were the big issues we were seeing? Um, With regard to flexibility and how people were working? Well, see, here's where we were before the pandemic, which is fascinating to me. Um, flexibility was not new, actually. Um, we, every two years, we've done a national study of the, of U.S. full-time workers. And I'd say, uh, 2018, 2016, we found a good third of U.S. workers were saying that they did most of their work from a remote location, not on their employer's site. So that would mean home, business office, other remote location. And, 98% in 2018 said they had some degree of work-life flexibility. Now, that could be anything from I can leave five minutes early to go to my kid's soccer game to, you know, I'm doing every minute of my work remotely. But the point is, there was flexibility happening. The problem was that it was either really random and organic, so there was no strategy or structure around it, 
or it was really rigid and very rule-based. So it wasn't something that was broadly scalable. And what happened um, is this would either roll out randomly or super rigidly. And we weren't training people how to work flexibly. So you know, knowing how to flexibly um, do your job and manage your life does take planning, coordination, execution, skills that a lot of people don't have. And I'm not just talking managers. That's the other piece of this is we think we just had to train managers. It's not just managers. It's managers, it's teams, it's individuals all working together to execute a flexible um, way of working. And that was not happening. People were not being trained. So we were essentially giving people laptops and saying, you know, have at it. And you wonder why it's not optimized. COVID hits, right? All of a sudden, overnight, you have this collective, rapid, forced experiment with remote and flexible work. And it was trial by fire. It was thrown in the deep end and people just were surviving for many months. Um, And what they found, especially managers and leaders, was, wow, so much more than I ever imagined that could be done remotely and flexibly is being done. This is amazing. And I think we should all be collectively congratulated for continuing to operate a huge percentage of the economy in a very different way. Um, and I, but I do think now we're seeing what happens when you, when it is random, when there is no training, when it is too rigid, we weren't prepared. And that's kind of the next phase where we need to go now is like, what, how do we, um, stabilize the way we have to work in the pandemic at the moment, but then how we begin, how do we begin to prepare for what's next? Well, it's interesting that you say that it's going relatively well, at least in some places. I almost worry that this is going to set us back that this was such a quick, disorganized little experiment that people are not happy with how it's going. And as soon as they can get people back to the office, it'll be, no, no, we tried that. Do you think? Yeah. Now, what, what do you think about that? Well, let me clarify. I think they're surprised by how much could be done flexibly and remotely. I'm not saying they thought it was being done great. Okay. So, you know, I think there's that that sort of that mindset shift that happened that, oh, it just can't even be done is like, oh, I guess it can be done. Um, I'm not loving how it is happening, but it's happening. Um, I do think that there is a sense that for a while, there was a sense this was sort of a sprint. If we could just get to the other side of this, we can go back to normal, at least in the US. Um, And we are our our own unique situation, perhaps from other countries at the moment. Um, this is not a sprint. We're kind of in a marathon now for a while until we at least get some kind of a vaccine. So I do think there is a recognition that even though it might not be um, the preferred way of operating um, to stay safe, we're going to have to do a lot more remote and flexible work than ultimately perhaps we will end up with. I don't happen to believe that we're going to have vast percentages of the workforce working remotely on the other side of COVID. I don't. Um, When we've gone into organizations and we have essentially put in place a process and a culture-based strategy that allows people to determine what it is they need to get done and how, when, and where do they do that best, 
Okay. And I'm going to get back to that, that question in a minute. Typically they'll choose on average, maybe two days a week remote, the rest of the time on site. People like to be physically together for certain things. They really do. So the fact that right now we have this huge percentage of people remote primary is ultimately not where we're going to go. But are we going to go back to where everybody's in the office as the primary default all the time? I don't believe that's the case either. So what we're going to end up with is going to be a hybrid, a dynamic hybrid on-site remote reality that um, is going to be different than it was, but is not going to be exactly like it is now. And that's what I think we have to be preparing for. You know, I don't disagree with you that people like to be together. However, I, I look at other things, maybe because my background's economics and say, you know, it's not great to be able to only hire around a city where it's really expensive totally. to live. And, you know, it's not great to have everybody on the highway or in transit at the same time. So it would be really better if we could have more of them at home. Uh, I wonder if this is just a challenge of management, that if you could get people in or you could get them communicating without being in two days a week, it would work. Well, again, I think it depends on the job, right? And the task at hand. Um, I do think there are certain tasks and certain jobs where being together perhaps is more efficient, more effective. It's just, you know, you just do the job better. There could be other jobs where that is not the case. Um, And it's very job specific. And I think it's also team specific and it's also person specific. I think there are people who, for whatever reason, just like to be a, keep their work and their life separate. So I think the goal with all of this ultimately has to be a process-based approach where, again, you look at what you're trying to get done and how, when, and where do you do that best personally, but then also in collaboration with your team and you know with your broader organization and with your customers. And that's going to be a dynamic reality. Um, you'll have the same process, the same approach, but you could have varying degrees of how, when, and where work is happening across the same department in the same business. And that's ultimately, I think, where you'll allow for things like, hey, there's going to be this person we want to hire or this group of people that we would like to um, be able to source, but they're not physically close to our home office in a way where they could easily commute. Yes, we would absolutely love to be able to hire them in, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some people who work in that organization who are still coming in at different periods of time and being physically together, looping that person in remotely, virtually, video conferencing, but it's not that they're all working remotely all the time. It's again going to be that dynamic reality. And you bring up a good point about commuting. This is why I always say we have to stop just talking about remote work. It's really remote and flexible work and flexible time. I think we can do a lot more with time. I do not believe that we necessarily have to have everybody on the road at the same time all the time. And what it's interesting to see, um, I don't think it's really taken off, but I think there's been this movement to maybe bring some people back into the workspace of staggering hours that you don't have everybody in the lobby together trying to get up in the elevator. And I think it's opening people's minds to say, so why do we start all of us at this one time and all of this ending at the same time? Is there a way to stagger that? Is there a way to combine that with remote work and reduce the amount of traffic and um, commuting? So again, it's all this dynamic 
um, sort of combined potential of how, when, and where work can be done that I ultimately think we will move to as we come out of the pandemic. And hopefully that won't take too long, but it's not today or tomorrow. So in the meantime, you have all these people at home and some of them didn't want to be at home. Their employers are you know, calling on them when they feel like calling on them. How do you set boundaries? Work, life, and all mesh together. Yeah. So this is where we went into this pandemic unprepared. People, managers did not know how to, okay, so let's start, you'll appreciate this, I think. I'm curious what you think about this particular issue. So the truth is, in most organizations, not so great about measuring performance in terms of outcomes. Um, not so great about prioritizing and having clear metrics that people were working towards. Um, and I think we're seeing the um, result of that as people really struggle now that they're working remotely to figure out what it is they're trying to, they're going to be um, measured against, they're gonna, their performance is going to be rated against, especially in a difficult economic environment. This is making people really scared and really nervous and so without that sense of, okay, this is what I'm supposed to get done. This is how I'm being measured. I will do it. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm confident this is, um, this is the, the measure of my performance. They're kind of just filling the void. It's just there's a lot of meetings and Zooming and responding. And, you know, so I think first and foremost, our struggle is we really have to step back and start to say, how are people being measured? What are they, what, what is their performance being based upon? And that was not something we were great at before COVID and working flexibly. From that, people then are able to also begin to talk about being clear in terms of their communication protocol. And what that means is, what are the ways that we're communicating? How do we have to communicate? What's the best way to do it? And when are we doing it? You have to have that conversation. So do we really all need to always have Zoom calls? I mean, there were plenty of times people communicated with each other before COVID on the phone without the video. Like why all of a sudden? Why? And well, well, the Zoom call, sorry to interrupt, is yeah. I keep hearing from people that they go on forever. Ever, <laughs> ever. But then it's so funny, right, Lynn? Because um, then there are people who I know are using Zoom. And I laugh because I'm an extrovert, so I get this who are using Zoom to just log on with somebody at work. They're working remotely, you're working remotely, you have it on, you're kind of just doing your thing, you're talking to each other. So that's the kind of intentional use of technology and communication that works for that person. But it needs to be something that is clarified with everybody else because that could drive another person crazy if they don't want to have that. So we really do have to prioritize. We have to be clear about communicating that protocol of how we are um, coordinating with each other. And from that, we are much better able to manage those boundaries around work and life. And so it all kind of feeds in together. You know your priorities. You know how you're being measured. You know what you're supposed to achieve. Everybody's clear about how you're communicating, how you're coordinating with each other. And from that, then you can say, all right, based upon what I need to get done and my personal responsibilities, and I don't know how things are um, around the rest of the world, but I would imagine it's like it is in the U.S. You've got parents with kids, you've got personal responsibilities you have to deal with, and 
it's much better. You're much better able to fit all that together if those other two things are clearer. And so that's what I ultimately think we need to do as we stabilize the way we're working in the pandemic is to be a better about those things. And I think you'll see people much less burned out and really able to continue to make it through to the other side of all this. But it's really a reimagining of the model, Callie, because we're used to FaceTime. Oh my gosh, yes. You know, to the boss and move up that way. It's very different. It is very different and it requires a different type of management, right? So how do you lead? How do you manage in a flexible and remote environment? What are the what are the competencies of a leader in that environment? It's very different. And again, you know, this is my experience from a lot of years in the trenches actually doing this work. We don't train our managers. I know a lot of managers who are managing without that skill set and had not developed it. So all of a sudden, what you used to be able to sort of skate away with, not totally mastering all those good basics of management, now you have to because you do have to be able to set clear priorities. You do have to be able to hold people accountable. You do have to be able to coach them. You do have to be able to engage with them and just check in and have empathy, but then also be able to make sure that things are getting done. That's that's a skill set, and we don't train our managers. So add to that then that extra layer of figuring out that communication protocol and making sure people are are organized and following it. You know, again, these are the competencies of leadership, but then on the other side, we as individuals also need to be being intent need to be more intentional and deliberate about what we're getting done and how, when, and where we're doing it. So it really is a model of shared leadership that has to take the place of that pa- that FaceTime presence equals performance default that we just kind of fed into that doesn't work in this new reality. So if you're on the worker side of things, what are the things you can do to make this work for you and maybe have some kind of a life outside of Zoom? So I think where it all begins is first understanding that you do need to be intentional about what it is you're doing and not so much where you're doing it now, because really some people are limited to, to remote and doing it at home, but where you're doing it, how you're doing it, and when you're doing it. I don't think we'd realize that. You know, in the past, it was, okay, I go into work, that's when I work. Okay, I leave work, that's when I stop working. Clearly, you were on your devices or what have you, but for the most part, work was not happening then. So it's first realizing you need to take that step and be deliberate. And that can be a little hard right now. And I want to say this because it's important. The economic reality right now is making people very afraid. So to feel confident that you can put boundaries up may be a little more difficult right now because you are concerned about your performance and the pandemic's stressful. It's just, there's a lot. Okay. So when I'm saying this, I get it. But there are ways that you can just do some simple things. And this is really simple. Your calendar is your best friend, okay? Being intentional. I've studied people for years I call the work-life fit naturals. And I'll give you a little bit of background on them, and then I'll tell you what they do. I would meet these people in organizations. They would be mystified why I was there. They fit their work and life together like it's no big deal. And I would just be like, what are you people doing? Because the rest of the people, including myself, have no idea. And they just intuitively understood 
how to not only put boundaries, micro boundaries around work and the other parts of their life, but how to allocate their time and their money and their energy across the different parts of their life. And interestingly enough, these are two separate academic areas that the naturals happen to do together. So it's interesting that academia broke them apart, um, but it's really that's that boundary tactic management and also the resource allocation component of the different parts of their life. So that's a little bit of a wonky thing to say. There's like data and research behind what these people do. So I studied them and that's what the basis of my book Tweak It is, is the secrets of the work-life fit natural. So here's what I've learned. Here's some basic things they do that I'll get you started. Number one, they are very intentional about when they're working, how they're working, and with whom they are coordinating with, and then they're fitting everything else together. They very much take control of it as much as they can. And they break it all down. They make it into small little pieces, small little tweaks that they then will oftentimes put on their calendar. So they tend to be very specific about what they're doing when. So um, for example, in the COVID world, have a start and a stop time. I know that sounds so basic, but put it on your calendar. Like, this is when I begin and this is when I stop. Now, you may sort of trail in in the morning before your start time or you may trail out in the evening after your stop time. But that start and stop gives you a signal. I haven't started yet, so just not, you know, not a gl- guns ablazing yet. And okay, I am we I am supposed to be shutting down now. And you begin to make that transition a lot more um, specifically than you would otherwise. Same thing with lunch, same thing with spending time with your family, same thing with exercising. All the things that you know you need to do to be your best, putting that in there on the calendar can be really, really helpful. And I could go on and on, but to me, that's really the best place to start is to be specific and put it down. That's from the worker side of things. We've talked a little bit about what managers should do, but in terms of industries or companies, are there examples of those that are doing it well right now? You know, it's funny. I look at the tech companies now. It's ironic because, you know, tech companies, we're we're hearing the the, um, headlines about Google and about Facebook, letting their people work remotely. And they were actually pretty workspace centric prior to the pandemic. So this is new for them. That being said, because they are so tech oriented and technology is just in their DNA, they are able to make this pivot to remote and flexible working a lot more effectively because it's just how they do things. Um, So I would say the tech companies are showing us what is possible in terms of operating in a virtual environment. Um, That being said, I do know there are a lot of organizations that are advancing very rapidly into a remote reality. And I think you're going to see that that is going to continue. That transition is going to continue to take them into the next phase, which I don't think is going to be all remote. And I don't even think it's going to be all remote for the tech companies. Um, but I do think the tech companies are showing us what's possible. And I do think other or, other industries are adapting. 
It's interesting you mentioned tech because they built these beautiful offices and workspaces. Mm -hmm. They provided food. I don't know if you saw it, but there was a very widely shared tweet from an employee, a young man at one of these companies who said it was really hard working at home because he's not used to having food at home in his fridge. Yeah. Own a coffee maker. So a lot longer to get that figured out. I know. Um, It's a big culture. It is, it is. But they did make the pivot quickly because they do have that sort of just cultural DNA of leveraging the technology to make that um, the flexible remote way of working succeed that I think, i got to be honest, I mean, we our national study of the U.S. workforce, 2018, we asked what type of technology do you use frequently to coordinate with your colleagues and your customers? Only, I think it was like 17% said they frequently use video conferencing. So that is what we were moving into the pandemic from the baseline, okay? I would venture guess to say the tech companies were probably higher. I mean, that's like the whole U.S. worker population. So I don't think there was the level of tech adoption that was was already happening in those technology companies that I do think other organizations have rapidly got up to speed on. And I do think we'll see that... um, they're going to be close to, if not on par, in a short time with some of the tech companies. Callie, if you look ahead to this, and we will come out of this at some point, maybe we'll have a hybrid model. What are the lessons you hope we learn from this as workers or as managers or as companies? Uh, First and foremost, for leaders and managers, I hope they learn that flexibility in the way work is done is a powerful, powerful operating strategy when it is part of your cultural DNA. What I mean by that is what this has shown is that you can continue to operate in a pandemic if you are flexible and nimble in um, recalibrating work. And had they gone into it trained and prepared, it would have even been more effective. Now, put that aside, operational resilience, it's proven itself for sure, but going forward, Add to that talent acquisition, being able to attract, you said this, to attract, retain, engage your talent, very, very powerful. Improve productivity. We've seen that in the studies that when people have flexibility in the way they work, they are more productive. Again, assuming they are trained how to do it well, you're able to leverage your, your assets more effectively. So you're leveraging your workspace. You know, people are saying, oh, it's the end of workspace. Every CFO out there, I would tell you to, to, to sort of like, hold tight on your workspace and then like major, you know, shedding of it, because what you're going to want to ultimately do is just rethink that. Like, how are people using their works, your workspace? They're going to use it with thought. They're going to say, okay, for this task, we will gather together. This is what we will doing, be doing in the space together. And this is what we don't need to be together for, but you'll be leveraging that space more effectively. The same with technology the level of adoption of technology is going to improve because there's a context to it. So again, there's so much good that can come out of strategic work flexibility that I hope leaders and managers understand. What I also hope lessons learned on the other side for teams and individual employees is we've, you've got to be thoughtful about how, what you're getting done and how, when, and where you're doing it, being more deliberate about when you're working, when you're going to take care of the other parts of your life, what that looks like, 
and just committing to making what matters to you happen and then coordinating with the other people who work for you, being clear about when you're going to communicate with each other, what is the best way to do it and have those conversations. So that's sort of the holistic um, evolution and innovation I'm, I'm looking forward to on the other side, of this grand experiment that we're in. Callie, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for having me. Callie Williams-Yost is the founder and CEO of the Flex Plus Strategy Group. Well, another really interesting discussion. If you did enjoy it, please remember to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as well, please subscribe. If you do those things, other people will find us more easily and we can keep the discussion going. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at at Relentless Eco. And of course, you can always send an email to give us feedback. Let us know what you'd like to cover in future. Thank you so much for listening today. And again, thanks to Stokely Audio for making it all sound great. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.